guts and it's the glory A hundred stripes, a hundred stories It's the Pledge of Allegiance on the 4th of July It's them handwritten letters from home It's them sleepless nights alone It's his newborn baby he left with his wife Mr. Red, White and Blue I'm a United States sailor. I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America, and I will obey the orders of those appointed over me. I represent the fighting spirit of the Navy and those who have gone before me to defend freedom and democracy around the world. I proudly serve my country's Navy combat team with honor, courage, and commitment. I am committed to excellence, the fair treatment of all. And with that being said, we are going to welcome our very first guest, Justin Fisher. How you doing, Justin? Hey, good. I'm good. How are you? Good, man. Glad to have you here. So, this is going to be kind of my show today. I'm stealing it from Matt, and I'm going to interview these guys a little bit about their careers with the Navy, because they're both in the Navy, obviously, and we're just going to pick their brain about a few things, and then uh, we're going to get into um, some of the current things going around with the country and the police and all that because Justin was also a police officer for quite a few years so welcome to the show so <clears throat> Matt yes sir what did I just read the Sailor's Creed and do you remember the day you said that well I mean the day I went to boot camp was July 7th 1998 um when I took the creed, I was in high school, 17, the delayed entry program that my mom had to sign the waiver, very mad. My dad's like, hell yeah, boy, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, we had to recite that a lot in boot camp, which so you, were you, like given this moment, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you, you probably know that by heart then. You don't need that anymore. Not anymore. I probably would have. I was in formation, and we had to say something stupid. Right. Kind of yeah. like the uh, general orders, you know? And yeah. I, the only one I still remember is, I think, the fifth one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, now, for people who don't know what are general orders. Uh, how many were there? Were there 12? I think 12. Uh, 12 general orders. That's It's kind of day one. It's in, instilled in your brain, you know? You. Yeah. Well, when you're on watch in boot camp, and the instructor comes up in the middle of the night, and you got to freaking recruit or uh, recite certain things if you get it wrong you're doing push-ups until you're dead so at least it used to be that way yeah i don't know about it anymore stress cards now yeah yeah i heard they have the like stress cards now where if you're i don't know what feeling stressed or i guess what do you hold up a card and it, like they stop i i don't know i that's what it sounds like to me yeah that's, we weren't we didn't have that no we had to uh if we got one of us got in trouble we had to push our racks out to the wall and we get pt'd until we made it rain because the ceilings are all concrete and they're low just the condensation from our sweating until condensation are dripping off the ceiling. It's fucking insane. Yeah. Then we had a, they had to hold books in our mouths one time because one kid talked back in one of our books for like history of the Navy. We had a hole in our mouth. One guy's mouth started bleeding. Then like, oh, we probably shouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, Justin, when did uh, when did you first make that commitment? Uh, first day of boot camp, uh, July nineteenth of two thousand two. And where did you go for boot camp? Great Mistakes, Illinois. Mm -hmm. Great Mistakes. 
Chicago. Chicago. Well, I've heard uh, that it's better to go there in the summer than it is the winter, though. Uh, yeah, no snow watch in July, so it was yeah. kind of nice. Well, what's, but, hold on, what's snow watch? Uh, snow watch is if you're there in the winter and it piles up four feet of snow because you're right on Lake Michigan, so it's normal for that to happen. And then uh, when the snow piles up, if you got snow watch, you're out there shoveling. So, so you watch the snow fall and then you go out and shovel it. That's pretty. It. That's mm-hmm. pretty much it. Is that looking. just like a pointless task to do, or I mean, are you actually doing it for a reason? No, I, I mean, you're clearing the P ways or passageways. Sidewalks, the grinder. Luckily, I didn't have to do that, so that was there in the summer. Where'd you go? For Great Lakes. Lakes. That's Great. the only one Navy's got now. Um, they used to have one in San Diego back in the day. Okay. And I, one in Florida, that was a female one, and then they integrated some yeah, years I think, ago. I think everything is in uh, Great Lakes now. Great Lakes, yeah. Now. I got you. What do you uh, what do you remember, Justin? What do you remember most about boot camp? Oh, boot. Well, I mean, they keep you so busy that uh, you know you. I don't know that I have a specific memory. Going back to uh, making it rain, you know, we'd get smoked all the time, mm-hmm. and you get you're gonna get smoked, or you're used to get smoked in boot camp. Just because. Yeah, whether you're right or wrong, it's just part of. Smoked? You mean like punished? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, well, they call it getting smoked, though. Yeah, they call it getting you. smoked. Where you, you know they're gonna. Or getting beat, however you want to call it, uh, you know, it's you know, all the push-ups and sit-ups and, and that kind of stuff. I so mean, that was daily. What's a, I guess it's for both you guys, what, what what was like a typical, if there is a such thing, a typical day at boot camp? Not, you know, after the, like, you're already there, let's say a few weeks in, like where, you, you know, it's kind of normalized now. What's what's a typical day like? A typical day in, in boot camp? Yeah. Uh, it kind of depends on... Uh, where you're at in the process, but, uh, you know, usually you're, uh, Reveille's at six, uh, you got 10, 15 minutes to make a head call, get your rack squared away, get in formation and you go eat some chow. And then you're kind of in a classroom setting, uh, for a lot of your training. Boring. Yeah. It's pretty tedious. Um, especially when you're, uh, sleep deprived and you're trying to sit there and listen to an instructor with PowerPoint. Like, fuck. Yeah. You know, you <laughs> how get, much sleep do you get? Depends. Depends on if you got watch or not. Yeah. Because you can have, you know, balls to two, and so your taps is at 10 o'clock, but if you got balls to two watch, you got to get back up at midnight, go shave, uh, get your uniform on, and you stand watch till 2 a.m. Then somebody relieves you, and you get to go back to bed for a nap, and then back up at 6. Mm-hmm. So. so how often do they rotate watch? Like everybody has to take a turn? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So how, how often do you got to do that? We just had watches at night because the instructors were usually in the office throughout the day. Um, I think maybe we had one door watch, if I remember right, during the day. Uh, so you had a fire watch. You had fire watch. You had a forward and aft. Yeah. So there's about, I think there's four or five watches going on at the same time. So you probably had it two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. So how much sleep would you get when you didn't have watch? You try to get eight hours, you know, but... Come taps when the lights go down, you know, everybody kind of settles down and right. try to have, you know, I don't know, it's a, it's a good time, but, you know, you finally get to breathe for a little bit and, and relax. Bullshit so, a little bit with yeah. the guys. Or some people write letters, have a little light on and <coughs> write a letter and interact. So is it, is it allowed for you guys to, like, talk and stuff once the lights go out? Or do they, like, hey, shut the fuck up? It's got, you got to keep it down. I got you. But they don't mind a little bit of no. chatter. Once the instructors leave, it's pretty... So was was there ever any uh, shenanigans that went on after the lights went out? Yeah, 
like mean, you know, like play pranks on each other. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like you see in the movies, um, was it um, Full Metal Jacket where they have a blanket party? Mm. There's stuff. One guy kept pissing the bed, got us all in trouble, so he didn't last very long after that. Pissing the bed. He was pissing. He was a grown man. Because he couldn't help it, or because he was scared, or I don't know. I don't know if he was just trying to get out. It could be. I mean, you meet all kinds of characters, especially in boot camp. We had one guy. So. He was in the army. Um, at Ferraris, they made him go through Navy boot camp, but he was just like 42. Somehow they let him come in. I guess they were desperate for whatever, and uh, he would jump out of his rack in the middle of the night and start reciting army shit. Just says he didn't know he was doing it, but I think he realized he was probably a little too old to be playing with the young guys again. You so know, is there is there? Uh, I know, like I listen to a lot of podcasts, like Jocko podcasts and stuff, and of course that's mostly special forces and seals, but they wash out <clears throat> a lot. And like buds and stuff, and is that something that happens in boot camp where you actually don't even make it through boot camp? They're just like, th- this isn't for you. There's a few, but the washout rate isn't nearly what it is for, you know, specialized units like that. Um, I think we started, if I remember right, we had roughly 80 people uh, in my, if you want to call it group or, or ship, we call them ships. Ships? Um, yeah. You're in a ship. You call it a ship, but it's, it's barracks. a barracks. Yeah. Um, right. I think we started with 80, and I had. I would say at least 78 push through because um, they could, they can send you back to a a ship that's not as far in the program. Like, you, you know, if we're on week eight and somebody's struggling, they can send them back to another ship who's only on week four. Right. Oh, we got you. Um, if their PT standards aren't up to par, right. they'll roll you back. But typically, I mean, most everybody gets through it. Yeah. The, the, way, it's stru- or the way it was structured, um, you know, it's designed for everybody to get through it. So. I think we had 90, but I was in the, they called it the 900, um, it was drill team, so we were typically up pretty late drilling, just for this whole purpose of graduation, so everything looks pretty and got our rifles and doing all that stuff, but. So how long, how long boot camp last, or how long was it? When it's you eight, were... eight weeks. Eight weeks? You're there longer, um. I think I was there for actually like a week and a half, but yeah, you're kind of P days, yeah, processing days. But you're you're more relaxed. You can kind of mill about. That's at the end. You're talking. Yeah. Or, okay. So they're is that like when they're trying to figure out where where they're going to send you? Once you yeah, when because you once you go, you already know what your job is going to be. So they got kind of wait for the class to start for your schooling. So sometimes you know next class might not start for a month. So they put they don't put you in like you're just you do duty around the boot camp but you it's know, pretty relaxed like you're yeah you're not yeah. getting yelled at every three seconds and yeah, right. you get through battle stations and you yeah transition from the recruit hat to the navy hat you, you, what's battle stations it's the end of the boot camp uh you but you're basically applying all the training that you had over the previous eight weeks into one very long night yeah uh, it's kind of the it, it's Somewhat ceremonial, but also kind of like your final exam, if you want to call I it. I got you. Yeah, like put flyers out and on ships and run around and do stupid crap, run through, yeah. crawl through mud and it's stupid. Was it fun? I mean, nah. was there any part of boot camp that was actually like fun? Like this, this ain't bad. I or, think the more you get, farther you get into, you're like, okay, when I'm, like your first couple nights there, you're like, what the hell did I do? Right. You know, what you, I get myself into? You're thrown into this room with a bunch of people you don't know. You just shaved your head. They making you shave with a cheap ass big plastic razor every face is bleeding yep. <laughs> and you're like what the hell did i do you know but after a couple of weeks you get used to the routine you don't take a dump for 
first couple of weeks because your body's not used to all this changes. They had a doctor come in, like, everybody's like, is anybody else taking a dump? Like, the doctor's like, it's normal because you're going through so much your stress change. You should be able to do whatever you... Your diet changes, Oh, yeah. Too. The, the well, food it, yeah. They... How is the food in boot camp? I mean, it's not terrible. It's different. It's... Uh, if I had to say, it's probably pretty starchy. Yeah. You mean to mix a lot of stuff together to get flavor... Yeah, you so, I mean, slap it together. Is it better than I guess like jail food or? I never had jail food. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've had jail food only because I worked in the jail. But... We're, not, we're not. We weren't eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and a, you know, a bottle of water. I mean, it was legit meals. Yeah. But... What What was like? Uh, what was? What would you have for dinner? I don't remember. I don't either. Some... It changed every day. You know, yeah, like burgers, hot dogs, or a hamburger. Or, yeah. yeah. So typical stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you couldn't talk while you're eating. Everybody just had to eat. Yep. And you can't hydrate the hydration station. Right. You know, yeah. Don't, which means don't spill your <laughs> your stuff. Yeah. Don't drink out of the water fountain. You're not allowed to drink out of the water fountain. No. Why? Why do you even have one? Because you got canteens. Yeah. Oh, you had to. So you carry a canteen with you, and that's what you drink out of. Everywhere. Yeah. Wow. So, <clears throat> when it comes time to, um, I guess, pick your job you're going to do for your the rest of your career what have you when do you kind of start looking into what you want to do is that something you pick out before you go in yeah before yeah. Yep. you get a contract so do you have like a like i want this job the most and then maybe this one and if i don't get those two then i'll do this is that kind of how it works or do you pick it one can, and stick your as they have score depends on that right. um what you're smart enough to do <laughs> you know yep. if you a lot of the jobs aren't you don't got to be a rocket science by any means. If you're going to be a new new guy, then you got to be pretty smart. That's pretty tough to get into. Did you do well on your ASVAP? I think I had like a 60-something, but I didn't try. Because I took it before I even knew I was going to join. I think we, we did yeah, it. Yeah, I think you'd do it in high school. 10th yeah, grade or something. Yeah, I, was, I didn't, even, in high school didn't even think about it then. So I just kind of whipped through it. If I would have actually thought and took Not it seriously. Cared, yeah. You know. Can you... Can you redo your ASVAB like no. later on, or is it just like a one-time deal? I don't know. I, I've, as I far thought as I, heard... I know it's a one-time deal. But again, like like Matt was saying, if other than being a nuke stuck on a sub, it really doesn't matter what your score is. I mean, right. you can kind of fit it. I mean, anywhere. if you get like a twenty, like you. Well, yeah, probably they, should... but they probably wouldn't even take it. No, they point. wouldn't even accept you then. There's, I'm sure there's a minimum score. So, um, what was your job, Matt? What What did you want to do when you went in? Um, well, I went in as an aircraft mechanic because I didn't know about the CBs. I kicked my freaking recruiter's butt if I could. But um, so I started off aircraft mechanic and switched to CB builder. Well, recruiters don't lie. No. no. What What was your uh, What was your choice when you went in? Uh, well, for the Navy, it's called Master at Arms, but every other branch, it's MP or military police. So, and that's what uh, you want to do when you first signed up. Yeah, that's what my contract. Stayed. When I got out of boot camp, I was going to what we call A school, which is your schooling for your specific job after boot camp. And uh, it was already contracted in that I was going to uh, 9545 Master at Arms School. So, so I mean, you hear those horror stories, um, like guys in the Marines that get promised you're going to be able to do this job if that's what you want to do, and then they find out that, no, actually, you're going to be infantry boots on the ground. It doesn't work like that, or is it? They have stuff where you're like unrated, where you go in and you're pretty much. You're a bosun's mate. You're a bosun's mate, or just you're you don't have a you don't you didn't go to school. They you go in and then they, you try to figure out what you want to do. So do you have to experience. qualify for like you uh, 
Mastered Arms, did you have to qualify with any tests or anything before they said, all right, yeah, that's the school you're going to go to then? No, again, it's just the ASVAB. They look at your ASVAB score. and it, So that just tells them that, you, yeah, this guy's smart enough, you can hack it. Yeah, you know, they look at your score and, you know, these these are what you can pick. Um, but I, 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 I was in the delayed entry program right after 9-11. Uh, right after 9-11 happened is kind of when I knew that, all right, it's time for me to do my duty and serve my country so uh i knew probably october november of 2001 what i was going to do so the only thing i was waiting on was to finish high school Um, so what made you is that is 9-11 what sparked your interest in going and serving yeah absolutely that was what made you choose the navy over the other branches um i had spoken to i'd spoken to the army the Marines and the Navy, and it just, the Navy seemed to fit. Um, I didn't hear as as much bullshit from the Navy recruiter as I did the others. Um, you can kind of tell had, when they're bullshitting. Yeah, yeah, and I kind of had an idea of, you know, who was being real with me and who wasn't. So uh, the Navy just kind of fit for what I wanted to do. So. What about you, Matt? What, what sparked your interest in the Navy? I know your dad served. Was he in the Navy? Yeah, yeah. He was a damage yeah. controlman. Um, so that maybe had something to do with it? Yeah. You know, once about 11th grade, I kind of started thinking, you know, like, I don't really want to go to college. I yeah. didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I had multiple interests. Um, so that I was, did, we had to go to Votech when we were in Deerfield. Afternoons, we'd go to, you know, the vocational school. And I did uh, building trades, stuff like that. And that's what I enjoyed doing. That's why I wish I would have known about the CBUs when right. I was. I mean, did you tell your recruiter that, hey, dude, I really like, um, building stuff and in that i mean did you guys even have a conversation oh, like my that? dad kind of swayed me towards mechanic he's like then you can you'll have a career when you get out yep and of course after 9-11 that changed everything because everything the airline market tanked and there's yeah wasn't a lot of people probably wanting to fly after well they, they were laying off uh, mechanics and all kinds of stuff i went and took a couple classes for um see if i can get my um civilian license to work on aircraft and all the instructors were laid off yeah, so it mechanics. It's, it wasn't like you're, to go in. you're pretty much wasting your money. One one instructor is very honest. You're pretty much wasting your money because it'd be about ten years before you even think about getting in. As far as being a full mechanic, you might go through and do some stupid crap, but work the flight line. You know, like well, that's not really what I want to do. So <laughs> how long were you a, a mechanic before you found out about the CBs? And what's that transition like? Well, is I found it, out about the CBs right when I got to my uh, squadron in San Diego. Um, they're out there working. I said, what the hell are you guys? I'm like, we're CBs. I'm like, well, son of a bitch. <laughs> I'd like to do that. But so I've stuck with my contract. So I had to do four years. Oh, so you, you actually spent four years being an air yep. mechanic. I was, I was good at it. Um, did you find that you liked wrenching and stuff? Yeah, I was, I don't know. I was ambitious. You know, I looked at guys that were really good and I just wanted to be like them and I got up to their level, but I wanted to get out. So I did my four years, got out for a couple years, and then I got back in, but it went as a CB. So Now, when you leave for two years and then you go back in, do you have to, like, obviously, I don't, I wouldn't think you have to go back to boot camp and shit, right? No, nope, I got to keep my rank, E5. Then I right away made E6. Then we deployed to Iraq. Um, what, uh, what year was that you ended up deploying to Iraq? 2007. I was part of the surge. So was there 2000? I left. July of 2007, I came back in April of 2008, April, May, so, right around my birthday, May, yeah. 
So you, uh, Justin, you you get out. You you're done with boot camp after eight weeks. Then what's next for you? Where do you go? I actually went down to uh, San Antonio, Texas, uh, Lackland Air Force Base. Uh, that's where they have the military police training. Uh, I like, think for mm-hmm. all of the branches. So that's like the military police academy, down right? There. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what it is. It's a police academy for the military. Um, <clears throat> so there was ten or twelve weeks of that. Uh, of the training, and then you're a qualified police officer. Yeah, you get through the, the training, and then you get what you call your rating, uh, which it MA, Master at Arms. I've finished the school, so now I am a Master at Arms. That's, Other branches that are MOS. Or MOS, yeah, we call them ratings. Because the Navy's got to be different with everything. Yeah. They, so why am I, why do I got to be a petty officer? Why am I petty? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've always wondered that. You know, that's kind of a shit name for somebody who's like, you're a petty officer, just a you're person. not you're an NCO right. not commissioned officer but it because the Navy's all about tradition right keeping the I don't know why but it's okay whatever so you spent 10 to 12 weeks down there then where, where'd you go next I went to Norfolk Virginia uh, worked at NLB which is the largest naval base on the East Coast uh, and did almost three years there how was that uh, well the weather's kind of the same as it is up here in Michigan, you know. You is it really? Seasons. And you're right. You're right on the ocean there, right? Yeah, um, Chesapeake Bay. Uh, I figured it'd be sunshine and. I mean, it's Virginia Beach, uh, so you know it's. But they still get you get snow and shit oh, in yeah. the winter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> but I was I got really fortunate. It, it, the time I went in, there was a transition with the Master at Arms um, because of nine eleven. Um, so they transitioned from more of the law enforcement aspect of the military to a security auxiliary force. We were all about security at that point. Um, but I got fortunate enough because a lot of guys ended up with just gate duty, uh, standing at the gate, checking IDs for people coming in, in and off the base. Um, so I, I got fortunate to get on Harbor Patrol. So I was out in the harbor driving speedboats around all the big ships. That was my job in Norfolk for about two and a half years. That'd so, be sweet. Yeah. Well, did you did you live off base, or did you guys have to stay on base? Your housing? When I first got there, I lived on base. I actually remember living in Groshong Hall, uh, which is just a terrible barracks. Uh, there was three people to a room, and mm. uh, the whole floor had to share the head, and there was only about two showers. It was just it, it was awful. How long did you do that? About a year. That would uh, suck. Yeah, it did. And then, uh, then you can, you know, you know you get what's called like BAH or basic housing allowance. Um, so I applied for that and got it. Um, so they kind of give you some money so you can go live on your own. Right. They give you, you know, it's a housing allowance, you know, so every month they give you so many dollars. And uh, Was that enough to get a decent place or did you kind of have to kick in some of your own money too? No, it's enough. And usually what happens is you get an apartment or something like that and you get a couple of roommates so that you're Split actually making up. money. Yeah. But uh, you get to pick your roommates, whereas in the barracks, do you right, get to pick right. who you're sleeping with or do no. you just, nope, you're in this you're room? You're slammed in there. Yeah. Yep. I got lucky. I was at San Diego, and they were the barracks were junk, too. They were like seven story tall. They were just trash. And uh, I think it was only E2. And they were going to start redoing the barracks. So they, Because um, normally it's hard to get below E4 to get BH. Yep. Usually you got to be NCO to get that. But since they were redoing the barracks and any room for us, they let us get it to the BH and we get to live out in town. And once you live off base, it's more like a job. Besides when you get, you know, duty as as well. You gotta stand watch or whatever. Um 
So how, it's more like a job. How often, I don't know if it's the same for you guys or not, but how often did you go to your job? How often did you work? Was it like a five days a week, seven days a week? How'd that work? I mean, if your schedule fluctuated, we were mainly doing a four and three where we would work four tens and then be off three days. Um, so that it would, it would, so it would rotate to where your off days would change. Uh, so everybody got a piece of the weekend once in a while. You know? mm-hmm, right. So, but it's basically, it's your, you know, 40 hours a week, eight hour job. Yeah. You know? Now do you, do you get to pick if you want to be on nights or on days or do, do they tell you? Uh, you can, or can request. you like bargain with some guys and like, Hey, yeah, you can request. I mean, they're going to put you where they need you. That's right. Yeah. Ain't they more. work with you for the most part. They work with you if they can. The higher ranking guys obviously get. Yeah, they get first choice. And yeah. they, you know. So was that the same for you, Matt? The, like the the four on, three off. We worked five, five eights roughly. Depends. Depends what you got a big project you got to get done. You working longer. You know, you're do it just what's what's happening. So what did you do stateside? If you weren't when you weren't deployed and you were working, what kind of? I mean, not when you were in the CBs. What did what would you guys do at home? Just. Train, build projects, shooting range, you know, nothing. Was it like, just like a job, you know? Shore duty is different than sea duty. Yeah. Uh, if you're not stationed on a ship, your shore duty is a lot more laxed. You're yeah. Gonna... So what was your rank? Did you, what was your rank when you got to Norfolk? I was an E2 when I got to Norfolk. What, what, Seaman apprentice. Seaman apprentice. And you spent three years there? About two and a half. I was actually going to finish my uh, service there in Norfolk, uh, but the Army got kicked out of Guantanamo Bay, Cuba about a year prior, and they were filling in with Navy guys, and I ended up getting shotgun orders out of the blue. We call them shotgun orders because basically I had a week to get my overseas screening, which is virtually impossible, uh, but they slammed it in. Um, What's a screening? What what do they do? Overseas screening, you you go to medical, make sure everything's good to go. You got to go to the dentist, just all kinds of, you know, make sure just you're make sure you're medically hook. fit. Yep, get make shots. Sure you're good to hook. Yep. Shots for the region of the world you're in. Whatever. Oh, that's when you got your corona shot. Probably. You lost all your hair, we, but you're safe from all diseases. That's right. <laughs> yeah, who knows what they stick in your arms? They don't you know? tell you. Hey, no, we don't care. You just walk. You walk down <laughs> there. Down the line, they, and they just stab you no shit like yeah. so everybody's just lined up and just boom 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 yep oh. you just walk through it's like a gauntlet you walk down it and there's nurses or corpsmen sitting there just you go to the next station doo, doo. next station doo, doo. the corpsmen's like the uh the the uh medic medic so mm-hmm. it's like a nurse basically yeah they're they're more way more trained than a basic nurse though oh okay emt sort of emt-ish I well think. depends the ones that like in combat, those guys are like EMSs. I mean, they can do cert- basic surgery, stuff like that. They'll save your ass big time. Most corpsmen, though, are like on the main bases. They're, yeah, they're like a EMT-type level. I gotcha. Where uh, the, cor- the combat corpsmen are top of line. So so what year was it um, when you got sent to... Well, I guess my first question is, why was the Army getting kicked out of Guantanamo? Uh, politics, basically. Well, I mean, the Army... I don't know if you remember, they released pictures where they had all the detainees kind of yeah. piled up naked, oh, yeah. and, you know, the, of course the media frowns upon it, and it wasn't I mean, you probably can't. right, but, I mean, these are terrorists that... Right. You gotta have, you know, he's boring sometimes. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Do something. <laughs> so, you know, it was frowned upon, so basically they kicked, worked on kicking the army out of the, at least the prison aspect of it, and they moved the Navy in to kind of take that role, so... You guys are a little gentler. 
I, I don't know. It. <laughs> but I ended up going down there and spent my last year. Actually, got the orders and had to go to Fort Lewis, Washington, Thanksgiving of 2005, and we did. We only did a week or two of training out there for it, and then right to Cuba, and you're working on the cell block just like a prison guard. So. And that was what year? 2000s. It was the end of 2005. 2005. Gotcha. Well, we're coming up on a break. Um, when we come back, we're going to get into some more of that and hear, hear what it was like uh, from Matt being overseas and I guess Justin, too, um, kind of figure, find out what, uh, what deployment life is like. Sounds good. We'll be back. <laughs> Lots of police shooting and drama and people getting killed in the streets and a lot of controversy over it. Um, and, you know, I don't think anybody wants to see anybody die. But um, that 16-year-old girl that got killed, she was getting ready to stab another girl. She had a knife in her hand. The cop shot her four times. And there was total freaking uproar about the cop killing her. Right. And he saved the other girl's life. Potentially, or more. Or yeah. more. There was a lot, of right? People. I don't. You probably seen well, the video. There's a lot of. There's a bunch of people. And there. then the dad tried to kick the other girl in the head. Yeah, that's father of the year, I guess. Um, I. It's it. They don't get mad about. It was either a 13 year old girl stabbed another 13 year old girl to death, but no, no one marches about that. No. So. I don't then know. you had that. What? Well, there was that 13 year old boy. Was it Chicago? that got killed he had a gun in his hand oh yeah the... and nobody says anything about him being 13 years old out at two o'clock in the morning they called him what like little murderer or something little little homicide little homicide right and he you could see the gun clearly yeah thank god for body cams well so, and that's the news and you edit selectively edit yeah video to show him not having the gun and he was just shot so and that the, the gun was it was been shot because the the rack was, you know, rack or the slide was racked back, locked. So that w gun was just been fired. So, so Justin, you were a police officer for how many years? Uh, a little over eleven, eleven years. And you worked in Clayton County, Georgia, which if you people that don't know where that's at, it's basically Flint, Michigan, but it's in Georgia. Yeah, if you were to compare it to, uh, you know, Clayton County is just outside. If you go Atlanta south. 30 seconds you're in clayton county so we're basically metro atlanta so needless to say you you were in the shit yeah were you ever faced with a situation similar to some of the stuff that's been going on lately here uh, i've never had to fire my weapon at anybody uh, thankfully that's it's not something that anybody wants to do no um there's been some situations where it's it's come close, um, but you do rely on your training and uh, your experience goes a long way in that. And fortunately for me, I never had to pull the trigger. So um, what? I mean, it's hard to say how you would react in these situations without being in that situation. But 
if you were to engage with, uh, well, let's take the 16-year-old girl, for example. If you were to engage with a 16-year-old girl like that and you're in, you know, not knowing all the facts that we know now, but you're in that, what would you do? How, how do you think you would have reacted? Do you think you would have reacted any different? Uh, you know, it's hard to say unless you're in that situation. Um, I can't really speak for what other officers would do. Every, everybody's an individual in those moments. Um, and it's kind of up to them as the threat they're perceiving that goes into their level of force to mitigate that threat. Uh, and it's different for, for everybody. Um, Did, so for me to, the last thing I want to do is Monday morning quarterback it, um, uh, because I wasn't there. Right. Um, I don't know all the details of the case, uh, from what I've seen, uh, from the actual video, not again, what the media decides that they want to stir everybody up about, but from what I've seen, it looks to me like a, uh, good shoot. And when I say good shoot, that doesn't mean like we're happy it happened. It means it was you effect, justifiable. You effectively stopped the threat. Yeah, it was justifiable for that to happen. Well, I got to assume too. I mean, every department trains differently too. So there's, I know I'm sure there's a standard, but each department probably has different procedural stuff they have to follow too. Sure, sure. So, um, you know, each department kind of does have their. We're still. Most states are mandated by state laws and most states are very similar um, when it comes to things like deadly force most states take it directly from what the federal statute says it's basically verbatim so do you th do you think that um i mean you were a police officer for almost 12 years do you think that uh there needs to be more training involved when it comes to engaging suspects and engaging people in, in the process of committing a crime do you think there needs to be more training yeah, absolutely. Um, there's more training and more knowledge is never a bad thing. Right. Um, you know, I would. Did you guys ever have to go like, I don't say retrain, but get trained up or get like a, a yearly thing where you'd go in and like kind of like a workshop, I guess, to, to train your train your department a little more? Well, you're required to keep your certification after you receive your certification from the police academy. In Georgia, you have to do. Well, now I believe it's 40 hours of training a year. Um, what, what kind of, what would that involve? It can be multiple things. It could be, uh, there's certain things you have to be certified on every year, like firearms training, um, CPR, things like that. you got to keep those certifications in order. But apart from that, it's all kinds of different training, you know, defensive tactics, you know, handcuffing, some, things as simple as handcuffing procedures, which probably would have helped in the George Floyd case because that was a little out of control. Yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> again, I don't want to see anybody die, even if you're a bad person. You know, it's just not who I am. But uh, I really th honestly think the cop was out of line by having his, his uh, knee on the dude's neck for 10 fucking minutes, and it's a little weird. Plus, you, I mean, how many cops were standing there, like five or six? Uh, yeah, and a, and a lot of the... It, and again, I don't know all the details of that case. Um, it looked to me like there was a lot of very, what we would call green officers, very junior officers, um, kind of around. And it almost seemed to me like they knew something wasn't quite right, but the they didn't want to senior say anything. officer on scene was doing this stuff, and perhaps they just kind of thought, maybe this is what's supposed to happen. Or they were seemed to be a little unsure, as so, well as probably a little shocked based on the situation. It, 
coming from the construction world, we always had this thing. It was called, uh, oh shit. <laughs> Basically, anybody had the right to stop work. Any if you if anywhere from the foreman all the way down to the guy that's green. If you seen something you deemed or thought was unsafe or whatever, you had the right to stop that job on the spot. And then we'd bring everybody together and you discuss that. Is is that something that you guys talk about? Um, like, well, if, I mean, you know, like if those if somebody's doing something those guys, illegal or immoral, you are obligated to step in at that point. Um, and could they and should they have? Probably. But again, when you're in that situation, you know, it's for those guys, it's not the easiest thing to do to take a 10 or 15 year veteran, whatever he is. And tell him he's doing something wrong. And yeah, kind of jump well, into it. And with the crowd around too, they're probably... Sure. There's a you lot got of situations. Tons of stuff going on. Yeah, you got these people yelling at them, and they're probably trying. Okay, we got people all around us. Right. So I, maybe they weren't paying attention as much as they should. Yeah, the scene was a little um, out of control. Yeah, uh, and that happens sometimes. And mm-hmm. it's got to be difficult um, engaging with with uh, you know your suspect or whatever, and you're trying to arrest them, and you've got a crowd of people that just keeps getting bigger and angrier and screaming. And I mean, you can almost feel it in the air when. You know, just watching it, you can just see that man, some shit's gonna about, about ready to pop off. So that's got to be kind of what? How do you? I mean, how do you manage a crowd like, like that, that with? Well, you try to to get out of there. Um, and I think that's something else that could have happened. There was no reason for him to be late on the street for ten minutes, especially with all that stuff going around. Yeah. At a minimum, they because they had him in the car at one point. And he kicked the yeah. He kicked uh, um, the cop and got him out. They try to rather, and again, I don't want to money morning quarterback it, but just from what I know about it, rather than bring him back out of the car and kind of because at that point you're starting over again, right? You had some control, and then you basically just gave your control away, right? Um, I kind of just caved into his request that he couldn't breathe, so okay, just they get him out, but and, still. It, and it's okay to you, you obviously don't want somebody not to be able to breathe. I right. mean, that's but but remove remove yourself and the suspect from that problem go down the street you know go a couple blocks over uh, just to where you you've created some distance to where you can do what you need to do Um, yeah that's uh and it's hard like you said it's hard to say what you do if you're not there and don't know all the details but you know i i also think that uh the public has a responsibility to comply you know, a lot of these situations could be de- avoided if people would just comply. And right or wrong, whether you think you're being wronged or not, just do what the officer tells you to do and then handle it. That's why we have court where you can defend yourself and say, well, no, the officer was in the wrong. And But when you start fighting, I think you open yourself up to bad shit happening. Mm-hmm. When you start resisting arrest and you start um, trying to fight with a police officer, you're, you're kind of... T- you're letting yourself into a, into a, a spot where, you know, you might get your ass kicked or you might, God forbid, get killed. Right. That, and, you know, that's what I understand why everybody has to fight. You're, you're fighting the police and then you're surprised when you get your bell rung or you get shot. Well, the crowd at the beginning, they're like, just comply, man. You're not going to win. Just comply. But he wasn't. He kept resisting, not saying he deserved to die by any means. No. You know, um, but I'm going to assume nine out of ten times if you comply. Yeah, it sucks. You're gonna go to jail, but like you said, you can if you're you know you're in the right, you can get your day in court and fight it. You know. Yeah. Um, I don't think and it, you but know. But non-compliance is part of 
I mean, that's just a reality. There's always if there if everybody was compliant, there would be no need for police in the first place. Well, true. That's true. Um, so, and you got to understand when somebody calls the police or police are going to a scene, it is never for a good thing. Right. People don't call the police to their house because everything's going fine and we're going to have a barbecue in the back. Right. That's that'd be cool. We're <laughs> only sent to bad situations. Mm-hmm. Some smaller than others, but it's never a good thing when you when you have the cops right come out. It's got to be kind of chaotic when you show up on a scene and you got two two parties fighting and they're both yelling at you trying to get their their story across cuz both sides are right. So they think and you're just trying you're you as an officer officer just showing up to try to like mitigate the problem, get everybody calmed down, deal with the situation. I mean, that's got to be you got a lot going on in just a little bit of time to process all that and try to make the right decision every time. Sure. And and there's a lot of training that goes into that. De-escalation um, goes into that. Uh, that's another thing that is, is really needed. De-escalation techniques are a big thing that needs to happen. Well, and that's the problem with defunding the police. We need more funding for training. Yeah. Um, I was... you, you can't keep cutting budgets and, and you know, it, I've, I've said this for a long time. Um, the pay that officers receive, you know, everybody wants accountability for officers and wants them to be extremely professional and this kind of stuff. But you got to understand when you're paying somebody $40,000 a year, I mean, basically, which is, you know, police are not being paid well at all anywhere. You're not going to get the best of the best in most cases. You are getting the bottom of the barrel people in a lot of situations to do this job that you really want highly skilled highly professional people doing but anybody that's highly skilled and professional and things like that uh even in my case uh it's time to move on i'm gonna go do something else where i can you know progress and make more money and yeah sure and right. money's not everything no but, but it's, it's you gotta pay the bills you, yeah yeah um, <laughs> yeah you don't so want all the paycheck to paycheck you put your getting, life on the line when you're when you're paying officers you know forty thousand dollars a year or whatever you know the, the, the low pay whatever it is um you're it's impossible to keep good officers because yeah. anybody that's good is going to move on to to something else and i i was just listening to yesterday they were uh i was listening to wjr um they were interviewing a, a police a chief of police somewhere up in detroit area and you know they said you know obviously the funding thing is big especially with ammo prices he's like normally they at least qualify four times a year he said now with the price of ammo you're taking money away from us we can't even afford ammo um and not only that good officers are leaving the force because they're they they're seeing what's going around the country and knowing to go out any day of their any day of their on the job they could they could be the one going to jail for doing something that they were asked to do um so then you then like you were just saying you're getting less desired people joining the force that might not have certain morals you know so it's like a big snowball effect that's happening right now. It's like it's just going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. So uh, the more you take away, the worse it's going to get. Yeah. And that's got to be stressful too for an officer going to work every day, knowing that at any minute he's going to be put, he could be potentially put under a microscope, and he gets thrown in jail for really just trying to do his job, and knowing that everybody around you is not a fan of you for the most part. So you're dealing with that. I mean, do you think it? Do you think it? It's, it can't be a good thing for an officer to think 
any move he makes, he's going to get in trouble for because now you're second guessing everything you do. You're walking on eggshells every second of the day, and some, what if what if it prevents him from doing something he should have done? But he's like, I don't want to get in trouble, and, and that's right. the biggest worry, right? Because everybody's too so happy these days. I, it's not so much the lawsuits, because um, again, most officers, most all officers, are doing the right thing, mm-hmm. um, and they're justified in what they're doing. I mean. Well, the thing is with social media, not everybody's got a camera. Sure, so yep. five yep. years ago, this stuff was still going on. Yep. You, no one knew about it. Correct. So now every little incident, you know, is is broadcast, and it seems like there's this epidemic of police brutality. When it's not, you know, yeah. it's just it's it's amplified because of social media. I mean, think of how many police engagements there are all across the country every hour, oh, yeah. all the departments, and you're seeing one story out of those millions and millions of engagements a day and it just makes the and it's never a good you know they never highlight an officer's good deeds or good good uh, actions it's always the bad shit and i think that puts a really bad taste in a lot of people's mouth um you know and i'm not and and in no way do i mean this to be racist but it, it seems like in some of these lower income uh black communities or what have you that that's all they know now is that the police are bad because you have all these news outlets and social media outlets that are just pouring this bullshit into their face that cops are like the worst thing in the world. They don't ever show the good good shit that they do. It's just the bad. Well, did you see that uh, was it Army Horowitz? He does. He goes on the street, you know, ask people questions, and uh, he went to black neighborhoods or low income neighborhoods. Um, like, no, we want more police. Yeah, you know, because they they can't. It'd be the wild west if you don't have police. You know, anywhere, not just. If everybody knew there was no cops, could you imagine? It, you know, and you even have people, and I think Congress should just stay their ass out of that kind of stuff. But you have all these politicians that are, like, wanting to defund the police, but on the backhand, they're paying private security firms mm-hmm. to protect them. So why why does a citizen not have the right to be protected, but you do? Right. They want to take our guns away. You want to get rid of the police and take our guns away. So how are we supposed to defend ourselves? But yet they have armed security right. while they're saying that. Well, it's hypocritical, as usual. That's, and people buy into I mean, the bullshit, Congress. though. Why, I mean, why, why, why? I can't understand why people actually buy into it and think that would be a good thing. It's just this push of a utopian world. If what did Thomas Jefferson say? If men are angels, we wouldn't need government, right? Because we everybody just get along. Could you imagine what it would be like with no like if tomorrow? They shut down the Detroit Police Department, the Atlanta Police Department. You know, just shut them oh, down. Man. Could you imagine what life would be like? If you have loved ones in those cities, like you can get out of there because yeah, it might be all right for a couple of days, but it's like I, I was saying on uh, last week's show. You know, it's easy to look down at, from your ivory tower and judge everybody. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were down there living with them, would you still want the same thing? If you were living in that neighborhood, would you still want the same thing? Right. Of course they would. <laughs> Take uh, look at Maxine Waters. She doesn't even live in her district. Her district is a shithole, and yeah. she lives way, way the hell away from there in this beautiful six, four, four million or six, six, mil- six, six million, million dollar home. Six million dollar house, yeah. And she's gonna tell people how oppressed they are. All right, get the fuck out of here. I know, <laughs> <sighs> but people, you know, hey, people keep voting her in. I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, like Pelosi, and it's like, oh my god. Well, Rashida Tlaib here, she wants to yeah. take away the cops. It's like, because you're not going to be, in, it's not going to affect you. Yeah, you're not going to be anywhere near the bullshit. Right. I don't know. And I, people who say that we don't need police have have never needed the police, so how can you say that to somebody that 
you know. Well, it's the people that the rich people won't affect them because he said they can hire private security, right? right? So they're like, I don't care. I'll have six ex Navy SEALs guard my house because I got the money to pay them, you know. And us little folk down here, yeah, can't even afford ammo. I got, I got, uh, I got Smith and Wesson. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I don't know. It's uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Let's vote them back into next next year though. Yeah. <laughs> Pandering. They only time they they say they're just saying the things they need to say to get elected, and then not do anything that they campaigned on. You know. Yep. Oh, did I forget to mention that Justin lives in racist Georgia? All of the voter ID laws. Yeah, oh my God. Yep. He was for it too. Son of a bitch. <laughs> well, What's your, another, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, the the media is. I mean, you're right down there in it. The media is lying and spinning it. Um, you know, you just. Okay, let's. Joe Biden's a president. He was a senator in Delaware for 40 years. Um, let's, right now, compare the new Georgia law to what Delaware has in place. Um, you know, early voting, Georgia has, I, I believe, 17 days of early voting, and which covers three weekends. Um, last time I checked, Delaware has, oh, zero early voting days. Um, then they complain about the drop boxes. So in Georgia, every precinct has a drop box. Um, when you compare that to Delaware again, Delaware has a grand total of zero drop boxes in the whole state. Um, ID, you got to have ID to vote uh, in Georgia, uh, which everybody thinks is completely ridiculous. You know the, the way the media spins it—that you shouldn't have to have ID to vote in Georgia. Yada yada yada. Well, I have news for you: if you're going to vote in Delaware, guess what? You have to present your identification. Well, so, it's pretty racist to say that black people don't know how to get an ID when they all have one. And you actually, you don't even need an actual, if you can't, for, and it's written into the law that if you can't provide an ID, there's other means of proving who you right. are. Bill, well, you part of that law in Georgia with the ID stuff, it is written in the law that if you do not have an ID, the government will give you one. Hey, a free state ID. You, yeah, it, they'll bring it to you. And you can use a utility bill, right? You can use just about anything. As long as you can say, this is me, they're going to give you an ID. So right. what about that as restricting? It seems to me like that opens it up a little bit for George, people. This new law actually opened, gave more op opportunities for voting. It did. Um, now, but it also ma it made it accountable, which I don't think anybody dislikes. Right. No. You want the election system to be you know, truthful. See, Florida's got a... They're pretty... I, I don't know... I know Florida's pretty easy to vote, but they got it where it's, you know, it's regulated. They can confirm your identity. They they figure out how to do it very easily. But it, why is this? I, I don't understand what's so hard about trying to prove who you are. Voting is, is you know, it's a great responsibility. Yeah. Now, granted, we no one takes it very seriously anymore, obviously, because look who's voted into office all across the board. Supposedly. It's just ra name recognition or you see an R and a D behind the name and that's who they're voting for. Regardless. If they're the worst person in the world, oh, it's on my side of the, it's in my tribe. I'm going to vote for them. Will you who shut is up, your man? <laughs> <laughs> you shut up. <laughs> Supposedly he got voted in. Yeah. 80. I don't know. Maybe he did. Do you think there's a correlation between uh, not wanting IDs to vote and them opening up the borders to let all these people come in? 
Well, it's a yeah, a new voting block. Yeah. Cause you look at the the last president uh, election, Trump gained black voters and Hispanic voters. Yeah. Um, By record numbers. He lost some white voters, which are probably the rich liberals. The woke. We yeah. need to build a wall. <laughs> a big, beautiful wall. A big, beautiful wall. From sea to shining sea. Yeah, they, I think they have to fill that void. Um, like you said, Trump gained uh, all across the board. Uh, so part of that strategy now is we is from the Democrats' perspective, is they got to fill that void. Yep. So we got to have we, this influx. We let you all into our country. We're going to give you all this free stuff. All we ask for in return is your compliance and your vote. Mm-hmm. What the funny thing is, is most Mexicans and South Americans are pretty religious people, pretty conservative people. Um, but if you're giving out free stuff, eh, okay. Well, you know, but that's not necessarily who's coming into the country. You have a lot of cartel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People don't understand this. Or, or, sorry, we're not getting the best of the best from these countries. We're not. No, and a large portion of these people aren't even from Mexico. They're from other South American countries or other countries across the pond that they funnel uh, through. Terrorists. They just Mexico. how many terrorists at, at the border Yeah, they're trying to hide? Well, like, come on. And Biden... The Biden administration or the Harris administration um, <laughs> decided that maybe we should finish this wall. No, no, no. They're just filling in the spaces oh, in filling between. In the gaps. That's not building. We're just filling in the gaps. Mm. It's like, um, yeah, yeah, that's building the wall. Well, I think that the, their little plan backfired on them because you got more people coming through that gate or through, around the gate, through the gate than what they ever expected. But when you tell people, come as you are and we're going to feed you, well, care for what you wish for. Who gave them all those shirts that says Biden let us in or whatever? There's, but they all had these shirts, that, brand new shirts that said Biden, whatever, let us in or something. It's like, who's paying for this stuff? Who's paying for the iPhones you see in their hands? Right. Yeah. You see the, you see some bigger bigger folks sitting there with their kids playing on their iPhones. It's like, yeah, the starving immigrant yeah. playing on an iPhone really, you know, it's like, I don't blame people, you know, it's. You're born into a crappy country, and I understand you want to better yourself, but maybe you should stick around and make your country better. Exactly. I know that's not always, you can always do such a thing, but if everybody rose up together. And I don't doubt there's oppressed people that are coming through that border alongside the others, but um, I think you've definitely got to have a vetting process in place, or you're going to run into the problem that they're having now where everybody and their brother's coming in. You're not getting the, the best of the best people. No, you, you get. I mean, like you said, they just caught X amount of terrorists at the border, and that's the ones they caught. Right. And then you got the coyotes bringing these kids, throwing them over the fence, yeah. dropping them off the fence. Um, they found that little kid just wandering around, nine year old or something in the desert. Luckily, they found yeah. him or her. The cartels what? are making a lot of money. Yep. You need to shut them down. Trump was working on it, but you know, eighty million people. He's racist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, hey, um, we're glad you guys tuned in this week to our show. We're, uh, I think this was a good show, man. It was fun having Justin on and yeah. getting to pick your guys' brains a little bit on some of your uh, career choices. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up. So if you guys want to send us show ideas or comment on our show or critique us, whatever you want to do, you can always find us on Facebook at Black Cash Podcast or email us at blackcashpodcast at yahoo.com you can find us on most listening sites um i think we're we're on spotify now so we're working on the the itunes thing 
Um, so as soon as that happens, we'll let you know. But again, thank you guys and have a great rest of your week. We'll see ya. See ya.